All right. Well, good morning again, everyone. Good morning, Mr. Bull. All right. That's going to be immortalized on this recording forever. <laughs> that Don is the best at the good mornings. <laughs> so the rest of you have to work on that so that you can be up to Don's par because now he's, uh, we got proof. Yeah. Yep. All right. It's a pleasure to, again, have some guests with us this morning, Josh and Jen. And uh, we, as Casey mentioned, this is a fifth Sunday, so we've been going through Romans. Um, and then we usually have the open platform on our third Sunday. But since this is a fifth Sunday, um, we decided to just take a departure from Romans to talk about another topic. So I'm going to talk for 10 or 15 minutes and then Casey and then Mark Thomas. And we're all going to talk about why we meet the way we meet. So it's going to be focused around the Lord's Supper. It's going to be focused around thoughts pertaining to why do we have a breaking of bread service first on each Sunday, and then we have the the teaching afterwards. So I am going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians, and we will start there. I got nervous for a moment because I looked down at the folder that Google Docs is in, which is where I keep all my notes, and it was updating, which means an app in the folder is updating, which means my notes could have been updating, and I would have just had to do it live. But if that's the case, then the Lord would give us guidance. So 1 Corinthians, uh, you're going to be in chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, and I'll join you there momentarily when this loads. All right, and starting in verse 17. So this is a very, very well-known passage. I asked the other guys, like, who's reading this one? And they're like, I actually didn't plan to. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll read it because most of my thoughts are going to come out of this. But I did have a... A book here that I want to read an excerpt from, uh, from Alfred uh, P. Gibbs, and then also a small handout um, by um, Holsheiser, uh, S. Holsheiser, that I wanted to read as well. So I'll move through this quick again, just because to be fair to my my brothers who are going to speak after me. So 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give direction when I come. So just a a large passage about the Lord's Supper in general, with specific call out to, I think, what was happening at the Corinthian church at the time. Um, The purpose of the Lord's Supper is to remember the Lord Jesus Christ and to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a lot of thoughts and there's a lot of passages around these thoughts in regard to specific facets um, of the, the reason for the meeting. But those words in verses 24 and 25, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Those are in red because those are from the Lord. This is 1 Corinthians, but if you read in the Gospels, you can read the account of the Lord in the upper room with the disciples where he institutes this. So this is directly from the Lord. So the author of this, um, this meeting is not just, well, we, we decided that it would be a good thing to do. It was commanded of the Lord. So there's, there's pieces and parts of this that come from Scripture directly, and then there are, I think, pieces and parts, as our brother Casey is going to talk about as well, that are based more on just it makes sense or it's convenient. Um, not every aspect of like, well, how often should you do it? What time in the morning should you start? Should it be in the morning? Should it be in the evening? How long should it go? What exactly should you say? Should it be pre-planned or should it be Holy Spirit led? There are some pieces of scripture that will talk to those things and the rest of it is kind of based on convenience and when it makes sense to do those things or when we've decided to do those things and to try to find evidence for scripture in scripture for every single facet can lead to danger and also to try to just take it all away from scripture and just do it all off the cuff can lead to danger and I wanted to read uh, again the excerpt from this book specifically because it came under question in our assembly somewhat recently I'm not going to go into detail but why, why do we do a Lord's Supper every week? Doesn't, doesn't that get boring when you talk about the same thing every week? Um, and I thought Gibbs had a very interesting way of putting this. So I'll read this excerpt to you. Some years ago, an older Christian, while discussing the matter of church truth with a younger believer, mentioned that he met the, each Lord's Day with believers to observe the Lord's Supper. The young believer looked at up, looked, uh, his, the young believer looked his astonishment and inquired cr- incredulously, You mean you take communion every Lord's Day? Yes, replied the other. We break bread each Sunday. At this, the young man remarked, apparently you have forgotten that old adage that familiarity breeds contempt. Why, a rite so often repeated is apt to lose all its significance and value. Then warming up to his subject, he continued, I would suggest that you take communion once a month. Better still, once every three months. Still better, twice a year, but best of all, once a year. Think with what expectation you would look forward to taking the Lord's Supper if you knew that 12 months had elapsed between these great occasions. 
Why, you would look forward to it with the same glad anticipation that children do on Christmas Day. And so he went on. When he was through, the older man, knowing that his friend was an only son and that he was away from home at the time, inquired, I understand that you have a father and mother who you love very much. Is this true? Yes, replied the young man. They certainly love me. And do you love them? Was his next question. I certainly do, was the young man's reply. Then came the next question. How often do they write to you and you write to them? He replied, twice a week. The older man remarked, apparently you've forgotten the old adage that familiarity breeds contempt. Why this idea of writing home so often is apt to lose all its significance and value. I would suggest that they write to you once a month, better still once every three months, still better twice a year, but best of all, once a year. Think with what eager expectation they would look forward to getting a letter from you and you from them if 12 months had elapsed between these great occasions. Why you would look forward to it with the same eagerness as children do Christmas. The young man saw where his argument had led him and changed the subject. Can you imagine if a young man who had courted the affections of a young woman and has obtained her acceptance of his proposal of marriage, complaining to a friend, must I go and see her once a week? Wouldn't once a month be sufficient? Do we really love the Lord Jesus? If so, we shall not be thinking of how seldom we we can remember him in the way he has requested, but how often we are privileged to do so. Surely once a week is not too often to remember the one who we profess to love above all others and who in his wonderful grace bore our sins and suffered all the judgment of a holy God in our stead and rose to be our Lord and very best friend. We sang that this morning, the friend of sinners. And so I personally put a great, great importance on the breaking of bread. I value it more than the meeting that comes after. I value it more than the fellowship as much as I love all of you and time with the saints. Uh, I would say that I love the Lord Jesus more. But the, the nice thing about our worship is that we don't just do a quick breaking of bread and then leave. We do all of those things because they're all important. But I believe that starting the week and the day and even the cadence of meetings that we do with the breaking of bread puts the most important thing where it should be. It's at the beginning of the week and it's at the beginning of that day at the beginning of the week and it's at the beginning of the meetings of the beginning of the day at the beginning of the week. So we start our week and our day and everything grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, remembering what he did for us, re-centering ourselves on the thing that is the most important and beneficial for us to remember. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup, the covenant of uh, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And uh, just a quick excerpt from this little pamphlet it says some have totally disregarded the Lord's Supper, viewing it as unimportant. Others have destroyed its simplicity by adding man's thoughts and traditions to it. Even among Christians, there are those who have given it a low priority in the activities of the church, thinking that it is carried out too often and it would become meaningless, perhaps even a boring ritual. These same individuals would never think of remembering their loved ones only once a month or several times a year. I have a feeling that Holsheiser read this because it actually goes on to say almost the exact same things, almost word for word. The Lord knows our hearts. I'm skipping over that stuff. The Lord knows our hearts better than we do. One purpose of his request is to keep our hearts warm towards him. And another is to reveal when our hearts are growing cold. When we fail to remember the Lord often, it is easy for our hearts to grow cold without even being aware of it. In addition to the frequency of the Lord's Supper, we should also consider the amount of time spent in worshiping 
the Lord. So in the early church, they came together specifically to break bread. That's in Acts 20, verse 7. That kind of talks to the frequency, but you'll see it says in Acts 20, verse 7, that, you know, I think it says at the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Now, if you read that, especially in the ESV and maybe in the other translations, I can't sit here and say to you, oh, well, that means they only broke bread on one day a week. And I think that some of the authors would say that that's the case. But I think the argument could be made that it was the first day of the week and they were breaking bread. It doesn't say that on the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh, all the other days of the week that they also broke bread. It just said it was on the first day of the week and that the disciples came together to break bread. So that, you know, that starts to get into the realm of where we say, well, every facet of this meeting has to be exactly from Scripture And if you start to try to make stuff up from Scripture to make it fit, that can also start to trend a little bit dangerous. But as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So I don't think weekly is too much. I don't think it's not enough. I think it's it's a great frequency so that we can remember the Lord Jesus Christ as often as we do, do get together and as often as we come together. So just a few thoughts there and uh I'll leave this on and I'll turn it over to Casey. If I can get my magnet. Hi, I'm happy that I didn't prepare the exact same thing. Oh, good. I actually found the right page in my notes. So I guess I first wanted to say that um, as... As I think Mark alluded to, that you know, some a couple of things came up that really had us thinking about, you know, why we meet the way we meet, and and kind of from there, like, what does the Bible say about church structure? And so as I was thinking about it, read a little bit on it, and and my conclusion, at least, was that there really isn't a lot on specific church structure. And as I thought about it, I think I think one of the reasons for that is that. The Bible, you know, really emphasizes the individual hearts of people, um, and that, you know, a lot of and like so. Even when you're looking at, at the things that have to do with church dealings, it's like how to deal with this issue with this man that's you know that's doing this. How to deal with false teachers, um, but then largely on an individual basis, you know, what you should be doing, where your heart should be at, and so in that, you know, there's a couple small passages. Um, and, you know, but with careful reading, you can take some stuff out. But there's, you know, the Bible certainly doesn't hammer home like, you know, meet on this day. Um, it needs to be this long. These needs to be the topics. You know, the preaching should be based on, the, you know, it, do, it doesn't get into that. Um, and so here's, here's some of my thoughts. I think, as Mark kind of said, I think uh, some of the, w- the way that we meet, I think there's some biblical backing for it. And I think there's uh, a lot of practical reasoning behind it. Um, now, before I really get into it, I do want to say I do think that assemblies do need to be careful. Um, from my experience, and you know, I've I've been in four or five of them. That there is a danger since we meet in a way that's different from many of the other churches to have a pride about that. Now, I I'm obviously I, I enjoy the way that we meet. Um, but I, like I said, there's definitely a danger where I've come across that, that there's an error that the assembly's got it right and the other churches got it wrong. 
Um, and so I just want to caution against that because I think that is not a very Christian or biblical view. Um, and like I said, I do really appreciate some of the ways we meet, and I'll go through some of the reasons for that. And so I guess I'll start on that. So first I wanted to give a, just a really brief history of the start of the Plymouth Brethren movement. Um, so it's, it, depending on what you read, it varies really from like 1825 to 1831 for when the first uh, you know, Plymouth Brethren meeting was. And it would have been, um, well, that, that varies too. Some, some people said it was in Ireland. Some people said it was in England. But anyway, in there, in the eight, late 1820s probably, and so we're looking at the Anglican church um, is where it's coming out of. And that was a Protestant church, but a very Catholic Protestant church. Um, and really one of the main ideas of this, and you probably heard this phrase, was the priesthood of all believers. So the Anglican church, you know, coming out of the Catholic church was very much a, you know, you've got your priests and those, those are the ones that are in charge. They are the ones that have, you know, are kind of like, have the, you know, what, what the Bible is saying, what God's saying, they're the ones that disperse it to the, to the laity. And so one of the big movements of, of the Plymouth Brethren movement was, was focused on a, no, like it shouldn't be, there's not some priest in charge that knows more than everybody. It's a, you know, we can all read the Bible um, and we're, you know, the priesthood of all believers. We're all like priests. It's Jesus and then all of us. Um, and then the other thing that they really, really hit hard on was the sola scriptura, which you probably recognize from the Reformation. It means scripture alone. Um, and so just trying to base even how they met based on what does the Bible say? Like, let's not just go on tradition that for 1,500 years or 1,800 years or whatever, you know, there's been a bishop, you know, that, that, that is in control. Let's look at what the Bible says. So with that being said, let I want to read a little bit from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'll read first uh, verses 26 to 32. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. If you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged, and the spirits of prophets are subjects to er, and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So. I think we have right there really, um, one is order, you know, we don't, it's not just everybody clamoring to talk and people talking over like a specific order, but as you'll notice, it's not, uh, it's not just a preacher, like one person that talks every week. It's, it's more of a, you know, it's first it references them as brothers, you know, they're all seem to be on the same, same, uh, level. They're all brothers and you have these different things that come up. And I think that's the basis of, of why we meet the way we do, especially in the first meeting where, you know, you know one has a section of scriptures to, ch to share, one has a prayer, one has a hymn to sing. And I think that's, that's based on that section right there. 
Uh, a couple other things I just wanted to mention real quick, which I don't view as super important, but they do come up um, not infrequently, and it has to do with women in the church. So just a couple of verses down that, down from there, in verse 34, it says, The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And then I also was just going to look a couple chapters before in chapter 11, but before Mark did, just on the head coverings. Um, I guess I'll start in verse 3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of a wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. For a full, I can stop at that point, but it goes on more about that. And so I think, like I said, those, those things don't come up, those things do come up um, occasionally. And so as far as why we meet with the only the men can speak and why women are encouraged to wear head coverings, I mean, we don't see that as a major issue if they don't. Um, basically, it's just sola scriptura. You know, we look at the Bible and that's what it says. I mean, some, a lot of places try to, you know, contextualize it and try to explain how it doesn't say what it's saying. Um, but so as far as if people ask why, you know, it's because we try to follow the Bible right by what it says. Um, now, so that being said, I did want to get a little bit more into the practical reasons. And one of the things as I thought about it that really distinguishes us is that we have two services. We have the first service, the Lord's Supper that Mark talked about, and we have the second service, this one, where it's more like what you would typically find at a general church. Um, and as I thought about it, the two services really make room and allow for, for that first service that Mark was talking about, the Lord's Supper, to be a, a full service dedicated to the Lord. Because a lot of places that just meet with one service, you could see where that would be difficult. I mean, say if you, if you met as a church and you just did communion every week, I mean, I shouldn't say just did communion, but if you did communion every week, it would really limit the other doctrines that you'd want to teach about. Um, and so I, I can see where if you're committed to just one service, where it, it, does, it does tie your hands as far as, you know, what do we want to, to be able to teach about? Obviously, we need to focus on Jesus, and we need to do communion, but there's a lot of other biblical doctrine that should be taught. And so I think... Our two services are, are very practical in that every single week we can, we can focus on the Lord and, and what he did on the cross and, and take, you know, in remembrance of him, take the blood and the bread. And then in the second meeting, we can focus on um, other doctrines, any doctrine in scripture and go right through the scriptures. Um, and so, like I said, as I thought about that, I thought that that was at least in my mind, a big advantage to be able to, I mean, it makes sense. The more time that you teach, the more you can cover. Um, And it lets us really focus on Christ. And so then another thing about our way of meeting that I think is very distinct from a lot of other uh, churches is the lack of clergy, clergy, that, that we don't we don't have a pastor. And I have a whole list of, of things here, just practically speaking, that I think are really beneficial from that. Now, I will first start by saying that there, 
the pastors, I do think, have, have some benefits, you know, especially in a small meeting like ours. Sometimes you could see where, where having somebody who's dedicated to the, to the growth and well-being of the church, you know, you could see where that would be, that would be useful. Um, however, I've got a whole list here of things, of reasons that I think it's really, it's really a, a, a neat, uh, a neat's not a good word for it, really works well to not have a pastor. Uh, the first one I have here is that it, it, really, it really forces participation. You know, it makes, it makes the men and the women step up. You know, everyone in the church feels more responsible. They feel more ownership for the church because there's not some other guy that's actually being paid to do it. It's a, you know, this is our church, and if we want it to continue, we need to be the ones that do the, do the work for it. Um, another thing out of that is that people's gifts are developed uh, because the church has need of the gifts. I think, and I think, you know, of the church, churches with pastors, you know, if somebody has a gift for teaching, you know, yeah, they, and they, they, do, they do work on trying to develop that but, and, and have, you know, small groups and other things. But as far as, you know, preaching, you know, that one's pretty much tied up and it's more of a, we need to find outlets for these gifts. Whereas our style of church without a pastor is a, <laughs> we need all the gifts we can get. Um, and with that, too, the church, our church becomes a place, it's not just a place where you go to be fed. You don't just go in and sit down and say, okay, pour into me. It's more of a community that you're like, you know, not only am I fed, but I need to pour into it. And also on the teaching, and I, I really love this about, about our church and the way that it meets, is that it's not limited to, to mostly one person's teaching. We get different voices. Um, you know, every... We, we hear from Mark Thomas, we hear from Mark Bull, we hear from me, and then we hear from Mr. Merva sometimes, Mr. Cade, you know, and every perspective brings a little something different that I wouldn't have thought of for sure, um, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, so number two on the no, no clergy, no pastor is that it truly is elder run, um, and I know that most churches with a pastor try to have it be elder run. However, there's there's a bit of a tension there in that if there's a man that, that stands in front of everyone every week and teaches and everyone is, you know, people come to the church to listen to that man, that man has more sway than, than I think they'd like, like to admit, you know, when it comes to the elders. Um, let's see. And then you also get, so say that that pastor, it, eventually he's going to leave, whether he retires, um, whether you know, depending on which one, if they relocate him, uh, sometimes if there's a scandal, you know, it gets really ugly. Some, I mean, even, even, if, even if he just retires and everybody's happy for him, but it turns out that half the, half the church came to listen to that man, you know, and he leaves and then a new pastor comes in and they're not really thrilled with him. And so eventually people leave. And it's, it's just, you realize that a lot of those churches are based on who the head pastor is. Um, Whereas our church, I think, is more based on the community of our church. And it's more like, you know, like when the Naritas left, which we're all very sad about, um, happy for them in a sense. Uh, but it's just losing one person or something doesn't really affect how the church is run and the voice of the church because it's more the voice of the church, not the voice of a pastor. Um, and then I kind of alluded to this. Besides the elders, which I think is different, there's not really a hierarchy. It's more the brothers. It's an equal Christian brotherhood where te- teaching is appreci- appreciated based on biblical merit, not based on who's in charge. I mean, you go into 
uh, a church with a pastor, and a lot of times people look to the pastor for the answer, you know, which isn't necessarily bad. I mean, especially if the pastor, you know, really knows the Bible, um, that to look to him isn't, isn't bad. But at the same time, it's like, well, really, you should be looking to the scriptures, you know, digging into them um, and looking right to Christ for the answer. And I think our church style without the pastor does that. Now, the fourth one I wanted to bring up real quick is just that the, the money aspect, which isn't, I don't think is the most important. And I think, you know, the Bible does say that, that the, you know, do not muzzle the ox, you know, that people that preach like itinerant, itinerant preachers, we do uh, give some money to. But anyway, without having a pastor, we have a lot more funds that we can disperse for the Lord's, uh, the Lord's work. Again, this isn't something based on the biblical. This is just, this is just practical speaking, that we can, we can pour more money into the community um, and into helping you know, things that we think would really advance the Lord's work. So I guess one of the ways I view a pastor is kind of like a king of Israel. Um, that if the, if the king of Israel was really good, you know, and followed after the heart of the Lord, that Israel did well. Um, but if the king of Israel was so-so or not so good, Israel went down too. And before uh, Israel got a king, you know, you remember with Samuel, when they, when they first asked him to give a king, how he mourned because it was, you know, God, Jesus is supposed to be our king. You know, and that's really his role, and we should just look to him. And I think our church, at least in that sense, uh, has that right, and that we're looking more to God as our pastor. Almost done, Mark. One last thing, as, as a father of young children now I wanted to bring up, that I really appreciate is the benefits that our meeting style has for, the, for, for my kids. Um, one great thing is that my children, you know, Mark's children, they see their parents participating and learn an active church lifestyle. They, you know, like my, my children know that, you know, they don't really follow time so much, but every, every few weeks they're like, oh, like daddy's got to prepare a sermon, you know, and, she, and they see like, yeah, like mommy, um, mommy prepares the Sunday school, you know, and, and so it's just an active church lifestyle where they see that we're persistently um, pouring into the church. It's not just something we go to and we sit at to get our duty in for the week. Um, another thing I like is the Lord's Supper, is that we have our children sit in with us, which I know is sometimes a challenge, and I appreciate all of uh, everyone's, everyone's patience, you know, and, but the, the effect on them I am so grateful for um, in that, first of all, they learn to sit quietly. Um, a few weeks ago, we had my grandmother's funeral, and we took our two kids to that, and like all our relatives were like, oh no. But then they sat through and every single relative came up and like, I can't believe how wonderful your children were for that. And we're like, we practice at church every week. Um, but besides, besides learning to sit still, even if they're, they're drawing or whatever, every single week they are hearing mature doctrine about Jesus Christ. And the, just the effects of, of hearing mature doctrine about Christ hearing, you know, people that they know, not just a pastor, they're hearing their dad, they're hearing Mr. Bull, they're hearing Mr. Thomas, they're hearing Mr. Merva, Mr. Cade, you know, they're seeing that like, oh, these people really care about it, they study it, they share about it, and they're hearing that, and, and I just, I think that's invaluable. Um, I guess that's the end I had for that section, so I just wanted to, just wanted to finish off with just a little recap of, again, I think there are biblical and practical reasons for why we meet, um, it's, it's not that, I wouldn't say that other churches have it wrong, but I do, 
I really appreciate the way we meet for some of the reasons I just outlined here. It's always interesting when you do these kind of things to see how the Lord works it out. And, you know, it's not quite like doing one message. Because there's three messages, and how do I fit, and what are they going to say? Different voices. Different, yeah. It's really different, strange. Um, So they've done a great job. Like, I'm going to go sit down, because I didn't bring my stool in. No. (laughs) I was taking it more from what I appreciate about the way we meet. I grew up in an assembly. I was the little kids that came in and had to sit quietly through the meeting, um, my dad used to have string in his suit coat pocket for me to play with, or a gum wrapper, the foil from the gun wrapper. You can make all kinds of cool things with that. I folded it into a mouse once all on my own without origami instructions or anything. All kinds of stuff, you know. So I would sit quietly. <clears throat> and then I remember, can't remember if I was six or seven, my favorite song that we would sing was um, 146 in the Black Book. Um, can't think of the name of it. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, behold the Lamb of God. Anyway, and I would always, Dad, Dad, pick this, Dad, Dad, you know, because I didn't know I could probably do it, and that would have really floored everybody if I had called out of him. But, you know, all that kind of thing. So I grew up that way. I have a little maybe different appreciation than some people because of that. Um, I would go to other churches and say, how can they do this every week like you know mine would be opposite like how can they not break bread every week like this is get boring like really we just come and listen to the pastor oh anyway but <clears throat> so i going that way and they did a nice job with why we do it so i'll just mention the things that i do like about about it are, are the priesthood of believers of all believers we're responsible you can't be lazy you know, I could picture myself because of the kind of person I am. Um, <clears throat> if I had a pastor, I would say, I don't have to worry about it because pa- the pastor will take care of it. You know, I s- you see that in all kinds of, of organizations and works. It's, if you're not resp- directly responsible, somebody else will take care of it. You know, ask Smokey Legend. You know, ask, ask my work. You know, I get a text this morning about work and it's like, really? Like... Why are you waiting till, anyway, you know, he's supposed to go on vacation in two days and you're just now addressing it? Like, anyway, that kind of thing. Because somebody else will do it, right? Somebody else will do it. And, and we don't have that option here. I could never, I decided a long time ago, I could never run my own business. I'd be terrible because I'd put it off. As long as I'm responsible to somebody... You know, at camp, I was responsible to the board. You know, at work, I'm responsible to my... But I do a lot of boss stuff, but I'm responsible to somebody. Because if you left it all up to me, I'd leave it up to somebody that's not there in the organization (laughs) to do. And so I appreciate that, that we have a responsibility. I know Mark and Casey both, you know, having to speak every few weeks keeps you in the word like you can't get real lazy about it like I've got to be ready to speak on Romans chapter 9 or 10 or wherever we're at at the time and so I've got to be staying with it and on it and thinking about it because if I wait till Saturday night at 10 o'clock to come up with a message 
for Sunday morning, <clears throat> it's not going to be very good. You know, it's not going to be very good. Um, so I like that. I like that it's a smaller, more intimate group. The biggest assembly I've been in, <clears throat> I shouldn't say it that way. The biggest assembly I've met in regularly is about, it was about 120 people. And then we decided that's enough people. We could split and do a east side and west side. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. I've been in larger ones and it's like... What do you, how can you stand this? I mean, to me, how can you stand this? It's breaking the bread. I'm supposed to share somebody and nobody will give me a pause long enough to stand up. You know, like this is just, I like the, the pauses and the quiet and, and the more intimate setting and, and things. So from a practical aspect from, as that, you know, and there's a lot of ways that the other churches, the other denominations, whatever we're going to call them, they're not that different from ours except that we break bread. That's probably the biggest thing. <clears throat> a lot of people could come in and they don't know we don't have a pastor, you know, because Casey spoke and he's the pastor because he was the speaker that day or whatever. You know, we, we see those things. But <clears throat> as we, we do it and uh, we do it regularly, the, the way that I would end that part of it would be to say we do what we do by example. There's lots of examples and we're going to look at one here very shortly. There's lots of examples in the scripture of why or why we, we see an example. So we're going to follow that. First day of the week is an example. If you look through the Acts, different ones you see, they met on the first day of the week. They met on the first day of the week. They got together on the first day of the week. So, so we do the first day of the week. It works good for us um, too. Lots of practical things that way. Interesting thing. <coughs> Sunday school is not there. Like, you can read the epistles till, you, till the cows come home or whatever that, that thing is, but uh, Sunday school is not there. So, is it wrong? No, we, we do it, but I don't think, I think I have the dates right. Sunday school didn't start till the 1900s, when, sort of when they started the school, the public school thing and all that, then they decided the kids needed something to do because they were used to going to school. So on Sunday, they went out in the afternoon and they got, gathered all the kids from the neighborhood and they had Sunday school. And that's kind of how it started from what I remember. But <clears throat> so, so they met in that way. Is it wrong? We're going to stop doing it? Well, we're going to have compassion on our children, you know, because it's hard to sit through two meetings you know, let's not push it. And, and there's lots of things we need to do on their level and things. Um, so that's not a problem, I don't think. But I'd like to finish up with, come on, technology. you got to love it. <clears throat> As I was getting ready, one of the things that I came across that really said, oh, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to talk about is that I can't make Jesus real to you, you know, we, we talked about the level of um, responsibility and activity we need to be involved in everything, but I can't make Mike more, Jesus more real to Mike. I can maybe excite him and get him to think about it, get him to do whatever, but I can't make him more real to Mike. I can't make it more real for Casey. I could get you excited maybe, something I might teach or say, or whatever, might say, oh, yeah. And I've gotten that way where, oh, I need to study more. I need to read more. I need to more, you know, and everything. But one of the things that stood out to me, I've been reading through Mark, and I got to the end of it, and uh, 
And it's like, oh, yeah, all these things I'm thinking, they're right here. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 16. And part of it is the first day of the week, but part of it is the importance of the breaking of bread and what it focuses on. Um, one of the things I remember hearing not real long ago was, why, are you, why do you limit the topic for breaking of bread? Why is it only the Lord Jesus? Well, he said, do this in remembrance of me. That kind of limits it a little bit, in my mind anyway. We're supposed to think about him, remember him, you know. There's a lot to remember about him, but <clears throat> we're going to remember him. We're not going to remember um, my childhood when I was growing up and what I learned then or whatever or, you know, something that happened this week that, you know, we're not, that, those aren't, those are nice and they, they're fine some other part of the, the day or whatever, but we want to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> who he is, what he's done, um, and all of those things. So if we could look in Mark 16, and we're going to flow through some verses. I won't make a lot of a comment on them, but I think you'll see the similarities. <clears throat> Verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he'd cast seven demons. She went and told those who'd been with him as they mourned and wept, and they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her. They did not believe. Drop down to 12 and 13. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked. This is the road to Emmaus and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest of them, but they did not believe them either. And if you look in uh, Luke, you can wait and I'll read it to you or you can. Uh, oh, let's do it this way. <clears throat> if you remember the story. He goes into the house with them. He teaches to them. Um, asks them why you're, you're troubled. You know, he opens to them and shows them all about that Christ needed to suffer and all those things through as they went through. <clears throat> and um, verse 38, he says to them, why are you troubled? And why do you doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet. That's me, that it's me. Handle me and see me for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so forth. But, oh, sorry, I'm, I just jumped out of the, <laughs> jumped out of the wrong story. Um, <clears throat> the one with the disciples, or the ones at Emmaus, for, or for, is verse 30. And I don't know how I, got, I know how I got down there, but came to pass as he sat at the table with them. He took bread and blessed it and broke it. It gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they knew him. They, in the breaking of bread, he revealed himself to them. Um, then the one that I read is the next one uh, with the disciples. And we saw there and we see there we could turn to John because we're going to stay in John then I think. And uh, he, again, these, these keep being on the first day of the week. I think they did it in the evening because they were working people a little differently than we are now. So it was probably in the evening that they met together. Um, just easier. I like morning. Uh, I would fall asleep probably in meeting if it was at night. <clears throat> I just tend to be that way. Uh, 
But <clears throat> we see that, and each time, um, as we just looked at there in verse in John 20, 20 um, he came, comes into the room where they're at and shows them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They realized it was him. Before, they'd been afraid. What's this spirit in our, our room? How did he get in? Who unlocked the door? All that kind of thing. <clears throat> and, uh, but the thing that I'd like us to think about here is this first one, we, we all know from the, the stories, maybe I know better because I, I, for some reason, really associate with this, this one because his name is Thomas. But Thomas wasn't there. He was out doing something. Something was more important than, and, and I'm not going to fault him for it, so, but he wasn't there. He said, home morning on his own or whatever. And uh, he comes back and they all said, we've seen the Lord. I mean, I can imagine they are psyched. They are pumped. They are, you know, you should have been here. Oh, it was so cool. <clears throat> and, and we know the story. Well, unless I see him, I'm not going to believe it. You, you know, I keep hearing this and I've never seen him yet. And uh, if I don't see him, I'm not going to believe it. And so verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside. This time Thomas is with them and Jesus shows up again. And he shows specifically to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. I like the, the words. Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Like Jesus knows he doesn't have to touch him. He doesn't have just... You know, he could have said, let me show you my hands. And that would have been good enough. But reach your finger here and let me look at my hands. Look at, reach your hand here and look at my side. And don't be unbelieving, but believing. And I think of those things. And think about it. It's interesting because I hadn't necessarily put them all together that they're the first day of the week. And how important it was that he would show them himself. And then they, oh, you know, to me. A little bit like Mark, maybe for longer. That first meeting is the most... If I'm going to miss a meeting of for the week because I have to go somewhere or whatever, I'm going to pick the second meeting. Like, not anything bad, especially I'm going to skip it if I'm speaking. Um, <laughs> but, you know, sometimes we would, because of the, the things around us, we might put the most emphasis on that. But you can go through a whole week just seeing the Lord. You know, and that's what I'd say that first meeting does for us. We see the Lord. You know, have I always seen the Lord? I've been going, I don't know how many meetings. Like I said, I was a little kid. I, I know I've gone stretches where I went to that meeting and I didn't see the Lord, man. I was discouraged, bummed, whatever. For Was it, who, it was that because the meetings, you know, I, I was familiarity breeds contempt and I didn't care anymore. I was personal things going on in me that I wasn't getting the full benefit of, of there. And uh, <clears throat> I know that maybe the context is a little different, but I was looking at the context and saying, you know, this context is kind of generic. You know, we know in Matthew 18, 19 and 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I was thinking about I hate when people take them out of context and stuff. And this follows if you have something against another brother and everything. So it's like, how does that fit exactly? So I'm spending a little time thinking about that. And how does that work? If two or three gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst. But at the same time, because it's a broad application like that, and he promises to be there, I'm not going to drink it again 
till, till we do it together in the kingdom. But we're two or three, I'll be there to show you myself. You know, and, and if we're looking for him, I'm positive when we come together to break bread, he's there. Like, we're going to see him. Oh, well, not going to, he can't say, here's my hand. See, he's right here in front of your face. But, but we can appreciate those things. And if we're not, it's not his fault. It's in, it's in our heart. And if we're really looking forward, because it's Christmas, every week it's Christmas. <laughs> I love that because I've read that same illustration more than once, you know. I, mean, I can't wait to get, to get together and remember the Lord because I can do it. I could do it at home with my wife. It's not the same as getting together with everybody and remembering the Lord. It's, it's okay. I can remember him. I don't think I could really do it on my own. Can't, not the same thing. Because, you know, we look at that word communion and scripture uses communion. It's a sharing in common. It's a, share, it's a fellowship. It's something we all have in common. And if there's only me, I'm not really having it in common with others. I can still appreciate stop and worship the Lord and remember what he's done and all those things. But it carries that idea of joint participation. We're all together. We're remembering the Lord. I'm responsible for helping you to see Jesus by what I share. You know, I can't make you see him, but if I should have something that directs our thoughts and our minds towards, towards the Savior. And maybe it's just the, the hymn. Maybe it's what I share. Maybe it's what I pray. I don't pray very often. I'm sorry about that. It's just not, I don't know. The Lord's working on me, I think, with prayer lately. And I'm very uncomfortable about the whole thing. But, um, <laughs> but you know, prayers is especially worthwhile. They did it. You know, they steadfastly continued in the apostles' doctrine, breaking of bread and prayer. And, and we need to do those things. You know, some denominational ones still do it better than us, kind of. They have prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. Not that I've been, but, you know, the assemblies used to have prayer meeting every night on Wednesday nights, and they had gospel meetings on Sunday nights, and I watched all these things as I grow older and things drop out of the way. I'm not sure. I understand why, because people stopped coming to the gospel meeting. Why? Because everybody came that was saved and, and things. But, you know, and it's... I didn't miss prayer meeting. I'm going to end. <laughs> but I didn't pr- miss prayer meeting because I'm not, I don't, that's not my favorite thing to do. Although now I'm starting to get, okay, I need to do that more often. So hold me accountable. But, you know, we see, we see those things. But I've got to come together to remember the Lord. You know, like, it's how I get through the week. You know, that's how I get through the week, the energy from that. So, why I do what I do. Um, it's why we do what we do. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for setting up the church, not giving us rules and commandments and all these things that we have to carefully follow and be careful not to break this and don't do that and have this and don't, you know, all those things. Father, we thank you for the simplicity there. We get together and we remember you. We spend time in, in doctrine and in prayer and fellowship. And Father, we thank you that you made those things easy and enjoyable. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.